0: Uh, chronic rhinosinusitis and those polyposis is really difficult to treat with topical agents. My patients, sometimes in tears, say, you know, I am squirting every inhaler, I'm putting drops, I'm getting on my head and standing on my head and doing it properly and I'm waiting the required time and these drugs just don't work.
1: You are listening to Treatable Traits on Asthma. This series is intended for healthcare professionals that are interested in being updated within asthma. You will be updated according to available science and the speaker's clinical experiences. Welcome to the next episode in the podcast about treatable traits. Today we are going to the challenges in patients with upper and lower airway diseases and comorbidities. My name is Professor Wiebeke Bagger, and with me I have Professor Ian Pavor from UK and Professor Peter Gibson from Australia. Ian, concerning the upper airways, how often do you kind of take that in as a treatable trait when you are sitting with your asthma patients?
0: Uh, very often, and I always ask patients about upper airway symptoms and about their sense of smell. Um, anosmia is very suggestive of the presence of nasal polyps. Uh, uh, of course, th- this uh, chronic rhinosinusitis and nasal polyposis is um, invariably associated with uh, severe type 2 high uh, asthma. The two occur together very commonly, and... Um, it can be difficult in a patient to work out whether their problems are mainly due to upper or lower airway issues. And in truth, many of them have both uh, both that are driving their disease. So it's a very relevant, very relevant um, comorbidity. On average, patients with severe asthma who have chronic rhinosinusitis and nasal polyposis have a higher risk of exacerbations probably because they have more severe type 2-hour inflammation.
1: But how long time have you been asking for the smell question? Because, I mean, we have been working with allergic and non-allergic rhinitis and ask for questions concerning that. But what about the smell? When did that sneak in?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably mainly in the biologic era. And some of the biologics, the anti-IL-413 biologics particularly, have a very big impact on uh, the upper airway and the sense of smell. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's been much more uh, in the biologic era that I've been focusing on on, on this aspect. Uh, but it's, a, it's very big, you know, extra pulmonary com- comorbidities, uh, I would put chronic and sinusitis and nasopolyposis in the sort of Premier League, along with uh, you know, obesity, anxiety, depression. These are, you know, really key treatable traits that, that you need to be interested in.
1: What about you, Peter? Of the upper airways?
2: Yeah, so I, I've long time been aware of the of the nose nose is a key factor in causing patient symptoms and initially my focus was on allergic rhinitis and treatment for that but uh, in the biologic era the focus has become more on chronic rhinosinusitis and polyps and you're right the anosmia question has become a regular um a regular inquiry uh in that era one one thing that strikes me is now that i'm seeing a lot of patients with nasal polyps and asthma not necessarily severe asthma but they're coming to our clinic because of our experience with biologics it's a different sort of severe disease to severe asthma it's complex and heterogeneous which means it's it's the sort of condition that treatable traits can help but it's not exactly the same as as it is in severe asthma and an example is as a, a man I saw a couple of weeks ago. He's had really bad sinus disease and polyps, and and was referred for surgery. He had asthma, but it wasn't severe asthma, uh, and he had eosinophilic esophagitis, uh, and he'd been getting regular treatment for that. So these are people that are they're suffering. But in a different way to the severe asthma patients, D- different manifestations of what I think is aggressive T two disease.
1: Do you know that the uh, quality of life in patients with a chronic rhinosinusitis with a nasal polyps are worse off than asthma, severe asthma, and uh, migraine, and and ischemic heart diseases? They're really feeling bad.
2: Yeah, I, I, I not surprised to hear that. One thing that struck me about uh, sinus, nose and sinus disease is the severity of the impact on the person and their life seems disproportionate to the size of the organ or the amount of, of pathology that's there. And I find that intriguing. And I just wonder what why do people suffer so much? Uh, what What's driving that?
1: But they suffer due to uh, their lack of uh, smell. They can't smell the wine. They can't smell the food. They can't smell themselves. They are afraid of smelling badly themselves. They can't. They can't smell their lover. I mean, it's all these kind of issues, which is very giving very uh, bad quality of life.
0: I think it is interesting. Uh and I have patients that will take prednisolone before Christmas so that they can taste their Christmas dinner and wine. And yeah, so it, it is a really interesting condition. Um, uh, invariably, patients with CRSNP have eosinophilic lower airway inflammation. When you look, it's there pretty much in everyone. Uh, and some of them have pretty significant asthma, but not all. Uh, but I think they 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 have a really uncertain future. That's that's my my feeling. There, if they don't have significant asthma at some stage, they probably will develop it. The other point about these patients is that they do fall between two stools. So they they don't belong to the asthma doctor, and they they don't belong to the ENT doctor. The ENT doctor is only interested in surgery. So they often don't get a good deal from their doctors and uh, the service you have in Copenhagen, Rebecca, I think is extraordinary and really needs to be replicated more widely. So your patients will get both their upper and lower airway issues addressed in a one-stop shop type fashion, which I think is a really great model of care. What
1: about the um, sleep apnea? Is it something we should think about in asthma or is it something separate?
2: Uh, It's a relevant comorbidity. It's prevalent, uh, particularly with uh, rising age and rising body mass index. And there is an association with airway hyperresponsiveness, but the the Mechanism, I think, is unclear and we, we don't know if it's a causal association, but I think it's a relevant, treatable trait and it's certainly part of a, a, an assessment that I would do when I see a new patient.
0: Yeah, I well, mean, I agree. I, I think uh, that Surinder Bearing in, in Sydney, actually, there's one who's in Sydney, uh, linked obstructive sleep apnea to uh, chronic cough. And uh, so I think it's relevant from that point of view as a driver of uh, a symptom that that is often perceived to be due to asthma, um, and of course the obesity in its own right can cause breathlessness. So if you have a patient who's breathless with a cough, uh, it's, they're going to get a label of asthma, aren't they? <laughs> uh, so,
2: so uh, yeah, I think, but. Uh, So that, if you think about a patient like that, so they don't have asthma at all, they don't have T2 inflammation, but because of their comorbidities of obstructive sleep apnea and high BMI, obesity, they present with asthma symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. If, If you don't assess T2 inflammation and do treatable traits, that person will be misdiagnosed and mistreated.
0: Absolutely, they're they're going to go, and they're not going to
2: respond well to the inhalers. So
0: they'll get given so more. So what
2: will the guidelines tell you to do? <laughs> what will they... the guidelines do? <laughs> yeah. They'll tell you to give more, give more inhaler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is exactly. I, I think this is exactly what treatable traits is trying to stop. Um, yeah, I mean, you can call it asthma if you like. You know, for me, asthma is a, a largely a symptom-based assessment, but their asthma is the sort that doesn't need high-dose inhaled steroids or biologics or even long-acting bronchodilators. Their, their asthma is the sort that needs CPAP and weight loss.
2: <laughs> yeah. Quote the first patient I referred to in this podcast series. My asthma is different. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Could could I go one step back, uh, Ian? You said that you have patients with nasal polyps who had steroids before Christmas in Copenhagen. I saw before we started biologics that they had steroids before Christmas, steroid before their holiday in summertime, and steroid. Just after summertime, because they had to start working and they were, you know, they couldn't manage to work with this uh, nasal closure. How can we deal with the steroids the ENT surgeons are using? How do you do it in your countries?
0: Well, I think patients with this um, Sierra uh, chronic rhinosinusitis nasal polyposis that have very significant type 2 oral inflammation very early on realized that oral steroids are a game changer for them and a a patient of mine called it it's my get out of jail free card you know if things get too bad so they can get into the situation where they're using a lot of oral corticosteroids and because different special specialists are looking after different aspects you may not get the full picture unless you ask you know, how many courses are you, ta- are you taking for your polyps? How many courses are you taking for your asthma? Um, the, the other point, I'm going to pick your brains, Rebecca, about this, because in my experience, uh, chronic rhinosinusitis and nasal polyposis is really difficult to treat with topical agents. My patients, sometimes in tears, say, you know, I am squirting every inhaler i'm putting drops i'm getting on my head and standing on my head and doing it properly and i'm waiting the required time and these drugs just don't work but you give me five milligrams of prednisolone i'm right as rain so how do you how do you explain that i just don't get that but i hear it all the time
1: But the explanation is that the polyps, if it's a grade 4 polyp on, for example, each side, you can't have it down. It's just, uh, you're just dripping the uh, steroids on top of, of the polyps. It's not going down to the area where it's actually developed. It should be into the sinuses. So what we say is that you should start nasal steroids immediately after surgery when you are clean. And then you can have the local steroids to work. If it's with nasal polyps, grade 2, grade 3 or 4, it's difficult. So I would say that um, clean them up and then nasal steroids.
0: Yeah, so in that with that paradigm, you give them a course of prednisolone, get everything clear, and then the, the nasal yeah. steroid should hold it. It doesn't. <laughs> the patient <laughs> just but comes that,
1: back. <laughs> but, but, but Ian, I think that's because uh, the steroids maybe clear the nasal polyp score with one, for example. So if you yeah. have a grade 4 you yeah. will have a grade 3 and you will feel better. But if you have a grade 3 the, the you will have other a grade 2.
0: G- to argue with you and maybe this uh, uh it's rather an interesting argument um, is that the steroid that they're giving into their nose is fluticasone which is you know several orders of magnitude more potent than prednisolone and it's being given right in the organ of interest right there. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm on going top to, of the polyps no but no come on it's uh, you know you, you've reduced them to grade one polyp they must be getting into uh, some stage so i'm going to give you another view which is that topical steroids do not work because this is a disease that is driven by the bone marrow all right this this is a systemic disease and you're treating th- the airway when in fact the issue is systemic and that's why prednisolone and anti-IL-5 biologics, anti-IL-4-13 biologics work so well because they're addressing the systemic issue. So I I think this is very much a systemic disease and systemic treatments are often needed. That's my view.
1: And that's what we are seeing in the clinical uh, day-to-day work, that when you start up biologics, it works.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, thanks for listening to the episode of Upper and Lower Airway Diseases and Comorbidities in the podcast series Treatable Traits. In the next episode, we will discuss treatable traits and risk factors. Take time to subscribe for this podcast on the channel you're using so you don't miss out on new episodes.